Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Swiss Ballers Pod. I'm Fabo and as always I'm joined by two absolute ballers, my good friends Toto back home from the mountains and our very special guest Seth all the way back home in West London. How are we doing boys? Hello guys, I'm good. Been enjoying the mountain as you said and the heat here in Geneva. It's been awful to be fair, more than 45 degrees so yeah. I don't know how it was in London for yourself, but here it's been yeah, very difficult. Yeah. I'm good. I've just got back from Turkey, so the weather's much different here. But we started pre-season training yesterday, so definitely something to feel better about. Very nice. I'm super excited for Seth to be here. Rumours say he's about to become Brent's youngest ever captain. He's a, a baller by trade. He's got a stand named after him at St. James Park. He's a FUT legend and a massive Newcastle fan in this in this way welcome to the pod brother thank you very much glad to be here we're going to take a look at Newcastle today do a bit of uh, season review we'll look ahead discuss potential signings etc first though Seth if you could change one thing about how VAR is used at the moment what would it be I guess this I actually think it's not used in the right ways. I think that stuff like if it goes out for a corner but it, and it's the incorrect decision and then someone scores from the corner, I think they are have the time to just say to the referee, that's the wrong decision. It should be a goal kick. Because that's what I still find that unfair. I know it has to be direct goal situations, but I get that maybe it might cause even more delay. But I'm more for getting the right decision personally. So give give them more license to, to yeah interrupt. get involved. Yeah, I think I, I think mm. it was the game uh, Man City Madrid when uh, Man City scored, but the ball was out. But the fact that Kamavinga mm. had the ball back, yeah, the VAR didn't. Yeah, win. there should definitely be a limit to how far back it can go. But I think yeah. stuff like the, the corner, there's loads of time before the corner is taken that the VAR could quickly go to the referee. That's the wrong decision. It should be a goal kick. End of. Yeah, it's a good shout. Toto, if you could change one thing about the handball rule, what would that be? So I don't even know what is the rule, to be fair. It changes every week. So it's tough to say something, but yeah, I would say try to, to have something that every referee should like take in consideration and not change every week because like, one game there would be a handball that would be given and next week we would have the same situation but the referee won't give it so try to have something that will be clear for everyone what would that be in your in your in your eyes i literally have no idea like sometimes there was a shot from like two meters from the player and you you can't move like too quickly to to put your hands off and sometimes they give you a pen or a free kick and I think but would you then would, you, would then maybe a good idea be to say any handball inside the box is just directly a pen? No, I don't think so. Because yeah, no, I don't think so. Because sometimes you just you got to have hands. Like when you tackle, you need to put your hands on the ground and things like that. So I think it's really tough. But just try to have something clear that will apply in every situation and not change every week. Seth, do you have the the solution to this problem? I think there's no clear like view of what the natural position is because they all they seem to see, say that a lot. Oh, it's a natural position, but the natural position seems to be changing as well. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like Thomas was saying, you need a clear what is right and what is wrong. And what would, be, what would be clear for you then? Do you have an idea what could be that clear rule? I, I guess arms away from the body, to be honest. So like from across, so if you've got your arm out and then it hits your arm, then that's a handball. But if it's like two metres away and they're sort of just hitting it at your arm, then that's not a pen. It doesn't sound very clear to me. Like it, it's still vague. You see, I mean, the complicated, yeah. the complications yeah, yeah. are clear, obviously, you know, but like two metres and then is it two and a half metres? Is it three metres? What What is it? You sure. Know? It's difficult, very difficult uh, topic that I really hope some smart head figures out sometime soon yeah. because it is very annoying. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a bit about you, Seth, and your history as a Newcastle fan because you didn't grow up in Newcastle. You grew up in London, but yeah. you've supported them all your life and maybe take us back to sort of your first memories of supporting Newcastle. How did that come about? What I, who are like your childhood heroes? Uh, yeah. Start yeah. us off there. So yeah, obviously my dad's from Gateshead, which is very close to Newcastle. So he's always supported them. And then he sort of fed that into me. My first memory I can remember was the first time we were in the championship and it was my first ever game at QPR away. And if we won that game, we won the league. And we won 1-0 when Peter Lovengrand scored. That was great. I remember that just being on the, the higher tier at the QP at Loftus Road. So that's the, the earliest I can remember. But I think my generation that I remember most, apart from now, obviously, was like Kabai, Ben Arthur, that sort of era. Alan Pardew mainly. Yeah, the Alan, the Alan Pardew era. We'll talk about that in, in just a sec. Toto, what are your first memories of supporting Newcastle? You're probably too young to remember them in the Champions League. I don't support them. No, no, no not no, supporting them, but just, <laughs> you know, following them and, and watching them. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it would be the, the Ben Affa time as well. Uh, he was an absolute bowler. And as he's from, like, the, I'm from the French part in Switzerland, like, we always been French, so we all know Ben Affa. So we're, like, all following him. And yeah, when he was at Newcastle, it was just so good. And yeah, didn't really live up to the expectation, to be fair. I yeah. think he could have been like one of the best. He, he's got the ability to do that. But yeah, something missing in the hand, I would say. But yeah, I would say that time when Benafar was at Newcastle. And I think it would be the, the same for almost everyone here uh, on the French part in Switzerland and as well in France, because Benafar is is such a good player i mean i'm sure the older generation will remember david ginilla yeah of course i think the first kind of big name frenchman yeah Yeah, and then i i also remember charles and zogbia years with the golden numbers on the back of the shirt those were the those are my well my first memories of the champions league the goal from cc i think it was against chelsea yeah yeah absolute screamer oh yeah. yeah i remember that i remember watching that live I mean, let's get yeah. into that, boys. Let's let's chat a bit about that era, the aforementioned Alan Pardew era, where the club got relegated in 2009, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and then came back up in a year later, 2010-11, and then 11-12, if I'm not much mistaken, was the year you finished fifth with the iconic Demba Bar and, and Cissé, uh, strike force Alan Pardew right, yeah. at the helm talk us 
through that that specific period, Seth, of going down to the championship, kind of reaching the lowest of the lows, and then coming back up with a with a bang and dominating a lot of. But you were like five, five or six. Yeah, years I was about ago. to say. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really remember much. I was. I was. I was born in two thousand four. So. I can... Ah, you were. You were what? Eight years old in two thousand and twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So I, can, you... I can remember. I mean, maybe you don't remember it, but you know all about mm. it. What was yeah, yeah. what was that roller coaster like as a Newcastle fan, and, and perhaps your dad as well would have told you a lot about it. It was it was amazing. It's, it's we had what I feel we have then and now is players who would die for the club, and because I think that's a massive thing with Newcastle. The supporters will feed off of players who are willing to give one hundred and ten percent, and we had those players who are good core group of guys because realistically we finished fifth still with a team where one of our centre halves was Mike Williamson or Stephen Taylor like people who weren't technically that good of a footballer but they just and they're just there for the club of course we had some fantastic players the Bar, Cissé, Kabai, Ben Arthur we, we recruited so well with Alan Pardew and then sold on for a profit that's sort of what we did under Mike Ashley that, I, I remember that phase almost becoming a bit of a Newcastle fan myself because of the football they played and Cissé and Bart mm. were so entertaining to watch for that for that one season. So much there. fun. Yeah. You you touched upon it there and and that from an outsider's point of view that's something that really is a huge part of Newcastle and supporting it that the fact that a lot of people up there kind of see Newcastle as one of the most important things, Newcastle United FC, that is as one of the most important things in their lives. Is that yeah, what makes the club so special that the people just give it a much higher priority or, or follow it much closer and have a much more emotion than in maybe London or other parts of, of the UK or even the world? Yeah, I'd say because it's a, a one club city that obviously helps. But I think every everyone there is just Newcastle mad. It's just... It's, it's amazing to be honest. If you go if you go there on a match day, like the atmosphere is just incredible. Just even before you get in the ground, everyone's out. So they make a day of it, so they'll, they'll be drinking from ten a.m. onwards. Like that's this this every every weekend, pretty much, every other weekend, obviously. The atmosphere is incredible there. Does that add a lot of pressure to for the club to succeed? And and how do these fans act when we discuss championship relegation and, mm. and, and such bad times as well? How did, how did the, did this mass of people react to, to failure or to, to perhaps periods where the success stays away for a while? Well, I think we've got like the record attendance in the championship ever. Obviously our stadium is bigger, but I think we still had 50,000 when we were in the championship last. And, um, We've got. There's a big motto around Newcastle. We don't demand a team that wins. We demand a team that tries. So, we. I think the fans obviously expect such great things because they've had that in the past through Shearer and everyone. But still, demanding the team that gives effort, I think they actually value more. And then the winning obviously comes from better players who still have that mentality, like the Joe Lintons and the Brunos. Is that something we get a combination that... of both? Is that something that under the new ownership you can see changing? Are you going to demand success more now? Are there because yeah, the, the, so. the means change? Is that going to change the fan base as well? I think to be fair, you are seeing it a tiny bit more where, for example, trans- transfer rumours, people are 
already going, oh, this isn't what we need for the Champions League and stuff. Whereas recently, if we had these people two seasons ago, they would be absolutely amazing signings. But I think that we're demanding, we're demanding success, but I think the players want that success. So I don't think it's as much as the club are set, like putting extra pressure. I just think these clubs are, these players, sorry, are taking the responsibility. Like the Kieran Trippier seems to go, going to go, we need to win in this for the club, for the fans. Is that shift in mentality more so within the fan base than the locker room or the dressing room? Does that worry you? Are you worried that that identity of of the Newcastle fans, almost as a culture, will will change? I hope not, but obviously it is a worry because you see the bigger club get the not the worst fans they get, but obviously the more global you get, it's hard to be as one the one city in that atmosphere. I, I don't think it will change. In honesty, I'm 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 optimistic about that, but it is a worry. Yeah, I mean, it's a similar sort of thing that's happened to or that's happening to Manchester City at the moment where mm. 15 years ago, no mm. kid under 10 years old would have heard of them. Whereas now you see a lot of kiddies with Haaland and De Bruyne shirts running around yeah. on football pitches pretty much all over the world at this point. Toto, can you think of another team that's so embedded into the town or the city where they're based and the fans are so passionate and the fan base is so huge and less thirsty for success than the passion to be replicated by the players? I think it's tough. I would say maybe Dortmund. It's a huge city with a lot of fans and I'm one of them, but obviously not from Dortmund. But yeah, it's a huge a huge city. not a huge city, it's a small city to be fair, with a lot of fans that are ready to die for the club. And I think as well in the UK will be as well Sunderland, which is now back in championship, might be back in the, the Prem in the next few years, hopefully. I think we I'm not a huge fan of I'm not a fan of the club, but I've been watching the the Netflix series about the club. So I'm like, yeah, I hope they will go back to the Prem. And I think it's the case for more or less people because it's a huge club in the UK. So, yeah, I would say definitely those two clubs. Seth won't like hearing you talk about <laughs> Sunderland, of course. But I get your point. I think Dortmund is a very good comparison, actually. Yeah. They they do have that the, the big yellow wall of it, very pa- known yeah. for their passionate support. Do you see that Seth or is Newcastle second to absolutely uh, is Newcastle just out there on the head and shoulders above everyone else you know what the only other team I'd say who are close to Leeds Leeds I think I think they obviously their fans I think are a bit worse when they have negatives like this season I think their fans sort of not booing them but they weren't they weren't happy with how they were playing in the season and I don't think Newcastle fans would do that as such but I think in terms of passion they're almost identical to Newcastle like everything in Leeds is about Leeds football club so they're the only team for me that makes sense let's talk not Sunderland (laughs) the Sunderland have they're they're great fans they do but that's because but they weren't no I know it's League One but they weren't as there as I think Newcastle fans would have been okay you have to say that as well. They also have a smaller stadium. Let's only about talk, four thousand. Let's talk about the more recent era. Give us some context, Seth. What made 
the Mike Ashley phase so difficult for Newcastle supporters? Um, I think because we just, there was no investment at all, really. And then we were sort of just being content with being a mid-table club, like a Crystal Palace or something like that. Whereas the size of the club and our history and the fan base, we obviously, they, they wanted more success because we felt like we deserved it. And it just felt like we were going nowhere or even going worse as we got relegated. And like we had a fantastic manager in Rafa Benitez and he leaves because Mike Ashley's too hard still to work with. And so that he, shouldn't be the case. He just kind of didn't follow the the club's identity or the, the idea, the fans' I, idea I of saw, what the club is. He saw it as a moneymaker. He saw it as a moneymaker. He's, he's a fantastic businessman. I think when he was our owner, he was the only manager in the Premier League not to have any debts. But I just think that he didn't care about the club and he just cared about, he cared about keeping us in the Premier League and giving us financially in terms of a transfer budget, as much as we needed to stay up. So we heavily used the loan market. Like we were saying, there was a debate two years ago in the January transfer window. We failed to get Hamza Chowdhury on loan because they asked for a 1 million loan fee and we wouldn't pay it. Whereas now we're signing Sandro Denali and stuff. It's, it's an incredible change. It is a scary change. The, the Saudis took over two years ago a year and a half ago now it's not been yeah, that long has november it? 2022 or 21 21 maybe 21 yeah yeah so so not even two years yet the the change has been quite remarkable to to see yeah. from the outside let's talk about the 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 saudi takeover as 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 a whole are you what are your personal thoughts on it it's a difficult one because obviously if I could choose, I wish it wasn't run by people who do those things. But I think because of the negative negative experience I had from Mike Ashley, I'm I'm enjoying how well our club is run, and I'm enjoying the success from it because that they've not done a single thing wrong in terms of how they're running the club. It's just a shame that it has to be them. Do you have any personal reservations on on the whole sports washing controversy and and where they come in or or is it just a part of football for you and as you say you can kind of focus on the positives of having mm. unlimited money we don't have an unlimited money though it's financial fair play is is massively impacting us because realistically we're still going to be spending the same amount as liverpool manchester united man city every year so we're not the only the thing we're doing is we're increasing our success over the Brightons and the and the Brentfords and stuff, those smaller teams. But every other team who's in the top traditional top six plus Aston Villa, they're going to be spending the same amount as us every single season from now. It's not like the unlimited money is only in essence matching what the other clubs have. I think. I mean, I hear you. I I, I want to kind of focus on the 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 sports washing controversy. I know sure, Toto, you've been chatting about that as well. Do you have, are you kind of disgusted by it a little bit? Is it like you have to turn a blind eye on it? Are you quite able to separate the sports from the business side of things? Where do you come in on this? To be fair, um, that's... Uh... Oh, it's you, sorry. Oh, Go no, on. sorry. Go on. I think it's a tough situation because there was a lot of clubs doing it now. Um, it's the case in Paris, Man City. I'm sure there was a lot of different clubs, but... I'm not a huge fan of it, but I think it's going to be part of the football from now on. 
So I think we need to, yeah, to close our eyes and just go with the flows and yeah, let's see how it goes. But I'm not a huge fan of it, but yeah, there there isn't much to say about it. Just hope the the that there will be regulation, that if there is to need to be sanctioned, they will be applied and yeah. It is it is very difficult as a fan because you're yeah. you're so vulnerable to your club's fortunes and misfortunes really you can't really do anything about it you know whether you had no hand whatsoever in Saudi Arabians taking over your club Seth and here you are forced to support them because you've supported them for years but probably morally it puts you in a very uncomfortable position it's a very similar story with last year's World Cup being in Qatar and people boycotting it not watching it watching it it's tricky because as a, as a football fan, you, you're interested in the game at yeah. the end of the day. We fell in love with the sports as such and not with the ownership or the money side of things or the business side of things. How do you feel being a supporter of a club where the owners are less than popular with many people around the world, Seth? Yeah, it's obviously not ideal because... Every time we have a bit of success, that's everybody's go-to is that, oh, it's the Saudi blood money and everything like that. So obviously, it's not ideal that it's from them. But I don't think that, obviously not to the extent of the Saudis, but I don't think any Premier League owner probably has got there by being nice to everybody. I think think businessmen who get to be that rich have probably screwed on somebody else to get there. Obviously not to the extent of the Saudi Arabians because they... No, that's it. It was it's horrible. It is, and we no one. I don't think anyone ignores that. But you've got to acknowledge that it's just it's football, and football is turning into a business or it is a business, and everyone at the top has probably like Abramovich. Obviously, not there anymore, but wasn't a nice man. I'm sure the Glazers didn't get there by being nice people. Yeah, it, it is a part of football that we can't ignore as fans, and we're completely just. We have to we have to just kind of accept there's not much else we can do at this point. Let's chat about the fun side of things because what has come in with the new ownership is success and very quickly yeah. and a lot of it. How happy are you so far? Oh, delighted. Happiest I've been in years regarding football. Yeah. Where does that success come from? Is it just the fact that you have money? Is it the, is it the recruitment? Is it the management? Is it what makes it such a fruitful period for Newcastle fans? It's all of it. It's how we're doing it. Everything's so right. We're playing attacking football. We're playing football that the fans want to see after being under Steve Bruce, who would play five at the back and just lob it up to St. Maxwell away at Sheffield United and stuff like that. Like It's, it's such a, a difference to where we are now. The recruitment's amazing. We're signing people who are not only are fantastic players, but they care so much, which is, it's, that's just what, that's the perfect player for in a Newcastle fans, I guess, ideal perspective. So I think everything has been done right at the moment. There's not been a single thing done wrong. What makes Eddie Howe the right man in your eyes? Is it that a style of football or where does, where, what makes him so, so good? I think football we play definitely helps but I think the interaction he has with the, the fans as well he makes players better which is just massive 
Like, look, I don't think any, not a lot of other managers are getting what Eddie Howe's got out of Almiron, Shah, Joe Linton. Like, you're not, you're not getting that out of those players. But I just think that, I think he's a, a proper good man manager. Like, he's apparently the first thing he did when he arrived was he asked every single player to tell them about him tell them about his family and stuff and he's he wants to know his players in depth and wants to know why they've had a bad day or I just think he cares so much about obviously I think he cares about success but I think he knows that to do that he needs to be able to get the best out of every single one of his players where can he take the club next what are the aims and and targets for the next season it's difficult with Eddie Howe because I think he's sort of learning as he goes as well as well as the fans and as well as the current players, apart from Kieran Trippier. Like, he's not had the success. So he's sort of coming on the journey with us. But with the right financial backing, I think he can come as far as we need to go, to be honest. What does that mean? Well, I, I saw Dan Ashworth, who's our, um, our sporting director, said he thinks we're two summer transfer windows off being able to compete for the Premier League title. And I think if the belief is still there and we still have two more positive years then with Eddie Howe, then I don't see why he can't be the man to take us there. Toto, weigh in on this. Are Newcastle that close to challenging? Uh, to challenge, I think it would depend because to challenge City is going to be tough for any club in the world. So to challenge for the title, apart if City has a bad season, I think it's going to be tough, even with yeah. two, three, four, five summer. But yeah, challenge for the top four every year. Maybe in one or two years, you will be able to do it. Because as we can see from outside, the, the recruitment is perfect, to be fair. Players like Batman, Joelinton now, because at the beginning it was tough for him. Trippier, even Nick Pope, um, Alexander Isaac. Those players are just... I think it's big, thanks to, to Eddie Howe as well, as you said but they're just too good. And if you take players like that, even now with Bruno Guimaraes, Tonali, if you manage to keep that, you're going to have such a good team with bowlers that I wouldn't figure off, to be fair. I wouldn't, if I had to do like a team, I wouldn't have to took those players, but they did and now it works. And if they keep manage to do that, I think you can go very far. So hopefully it would be the case for you. But let's see. <laughs> The road to success is is rarely a straightforward path. I don't know if that's a saying or I'm making this up, but yeah, yeah. you sometimes have to take a step back to go yeah. two steps forward. Do you maybe anticipate dropping out of the top four as well next season, having this distraction, Champions League football, it's going to be a lot more taxing on the players. The squad will have to rotate a lot more. Do you maybe see... You yourself as a club having to take a step back because this top four spot came maybe a bit earlier than anticipated? Oh, massively. I, I've already, already said if we get any European football this season, I'm happy. Because every Chelsea aren't going to be as bad as they were last season. Tottenham the same. Every club is still getting better. That's that's also the thing with us trying to challenge for the title is that every year, every club around us is also getting better. So I think we need that failure because not failure but because I don't want Newcastle to fans to think not getting top four is a failure because it isn't if you look at us where we were two seasons ago almost getting relegated and then if we managed to get seventh next season that's still an amazing season we're in the Champions League we, we can't can't really ask for much more in honesty like I think we should just enjoy it 
and then we push on from there because the squad, realistically the squad we have now isn't good enough to be able to compete in both the Champions League and the Premier League in one season plus cup competitions we, we're a long way off being able to compete in every competition so I think we just got to enjoy what we have yeah and I, and I think to be fair next year it would be like the toughest season like mm. every club would be very very good Arsenal yeah. City Liverpool Chelsea Tottenham maybe not Tottenham but even Aston Villa it's going to be tough yeah yeah Let's hope the fan base can go through that period of maybe yeah, having to take so. a step or two back without turning sour and yeah, ruining agreed. what's being built. We mm. are going to take a quick break and then we are going to be back to chat about transfers. Everybody's favorite topic at the moment, transfers for Newcastle and elsewhere. See you in a sec. I've uploaded four, five TikToks now. The first one had like, I don't know, 10 views. Second one, 1,026. And the last three barely got beyond 10. Yeah. The make it make weird, sense. Yeah. Make yeah. it make sense. Honestly, it's so weird. Yeah. So if you're on TikTok, follow us. The Swiss Ballers Pod. <laughs> we are back to talk transfers. We spoke in depth about transfers in our last episode, we listed players who each club should sign. And for Newcastle, we spoke about left backs and wingers. The names Tierney came up, Diaby came up as well. I mentioned the Frankfurt midfielder Jesper Lindstrom. You've already signed Tonali. Maybe let's start there, Seth. Huge signing. It's crazy times when AC Milan sells their best players to a club like Newcastle. No offense. <laughs> crazy times, surely. Yeah, it's incredible signing. I'm over the moon with it. As soon as we, as soon as we were linked to them, I slapped on the under twenty one Euros just to watch him. <laughs> like, and I, I was I was very impressed. Like he's such a good player. I can see how he he's our sort of player. And like I said, with the he has that passion as well that we we, we desire. So it's a fantastic signing, yeah, over the moon. But do you think he would get that, that passion for the club as well? Because I don't know if you saw the video, like, when he was with his girlfriend. Yeah, I've seen it. But <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of talk about him being unhappy with the move and stuff and yeah. saying he's being forced out of Milan. But two things. The Milan boss has said that Znali chose to leave. And also then... Immediately after that, Zanotti posts a video on his Instagram with Sam Fender in the background as the music, so he's saying how excited he is for the Newcastle and stuff. So I think, I think he's a very serious guy. He's pictures of him on a holiday with his girlfriend with a straight face as well. He just, I don't think he smiles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna somehow make it make sense have, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to us about where else you see the the need for strengthening we as i said we mentioned yeah. the names tierney diaby dan burns perhaps not being the champions mm -hmm. league left back that you need there's also this rumor going around that you'll bring in barnes to replace san maxima which is not a very popular decision i'm assuming with the fans because san maxima is a fan favorite and he was he was one of the ogs who was there before the takeover where where do you come in on on these matters yeah, but the Barnes and Samaxman, I think we'll sign Barnes and Samaxman won't leave either. I think we'll have both. I think from Samaxman's posted so much stuff on Instagram recently about 
don't listen to something they don't know the real truth or something and he's saying I'm so glad to be back in my home I think I don't think he's leaving and I think Barnes is a very good signing Premier League proven his depth maybe a position we didn't need because we have him Gordon so Maximan Joe Linton can play there as well Isak even so it's it's strange but I think between the combination of all of them I think maybe we can see Gordon on the right wing or something so between all of them we have enough in the front three positions but my main priority is left back is and I don't think Dan Burns good enough as much as I love the guy he's not good enough to start in the, Prem, in the Champions League because every time we've played someone half decent they target Dan Burn. when we played Arsenal I think we had to put Joe Linton, Joe Willock and Dan Byrne just to cope with Saka. So I think the one we've been linked to recently, we were linked to Tierney at the beginning, but that sort of died off. I think Arsenal were asking for too much money. We're linked to a Feli DeMarco from Inter Milan. From what I've seen of him, he looks to be an Eddie Howe sort of player. I don't think he's that great defensively, but I think our plan is to attack. So I think I'd be happy with him. Yeah, Di Marco sounds like a very good signing, a potentially very good signing. Toto, mm. where do you where do you come come in on this debate about Barnes? I know you're a big fan of Barnes yourself. Yeah, I'm a huge fan to be fair, and even of Gordon. I'm not a huge fan of him, but I've been watching the U uh, twenty one, and it was really good. So I'm hoping it would be good this year with Newcastle because obviously it did cost, cost a lot of money. And didn't expect uh, live up to the expectation, but I think this year might be his year, and I hope for him, and I hope for you as well, Seth. But yeah, yeah. To, to coming to Barnes, I think he's such a good player, but what is missing is consistency. Like he's not constant enough to to be a starter. I think for a club like Newcastle that yeah, want to play in, uh, in the top four, mm-hmm. that want to play in the Champions League, but as a super sub or as a rotation mm. player, I think he can be really important for Newcastle. So hopefully if he comes, he will be at his best. And yeah, but yeah, I think it will be a, a good choice for, for Newcastle to, to buy him because I don't think it would cost that much money. And even the money for you is not a problem anymore, but still. It is. Any other areas you, you want to strengthen, Seth? Maybe a number 10 after missing um, out on Madison or... We don't really play with a 10, in honesty. Yeah. We play with two eights, and that, for me, will be Tenali and Joe Willock to start the season off. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I think the Joe Linton on the bench? Joe Linton's at left wing. Okay. Definitely. Will- Willock and Joe Linton overlap, and that that that, that combination needs to be there. Because Sir Max and Mam, Barnes, Gordon, no, none of them weren't a start. I would rather have Callum Wilson up front and Nizak on the left and start any of them three. Uh, Joe Linton, we need players who are consistent and will give you a eight out of ten every week, and that's Willock and even Sean Longstaff. I'd rather have over Sam Maximan and Golden Barnes. Yeah, big statement. Yeah, I think it is. I think centre half, right centre half, we need desperately. It doesn't have to be better than Fabian Shaw or Cher, but um, uh. If he gets injured or Botman gets injured, our backups are Jamal Lascelles, Paul Dummett, Dan Byrne as a centre-half. Like That's not good enough if you want to play in Champions League. So apparently we've agreed personal terms with Axel de Sassi from Monaco. But I think they're wanting 50-odd million for him. So we'll see how far that goes. It's the Premier League tax that you need to pay. <clears throat> it is. You mentioned Fabi Scher. 
there. As this is the Swiss Ballers pod, we should talk about the Swiss Baller. Share your thoughts on him for us. Um, nice. I think he's. I think he's a great player now, but under Benitez, I wouldn't have started him at all. I, I, I didn't like him because he was. We were we were playing a game of percentages under Bruce, and everything was important. And then when he goes and shoots from the halfway line four times a game because he scored it once, it gets a bit frustrating when we don't have the ball that much. And he'd also go on his weird dribbles from centre half up to striker and then just walk back type thing. So I think he wasn't a composed player. Whereas now uh, he, he does everything. Every single pass he makes is the right pass to make. He doesn't just force it anymore, which is nice. So I think I think Eddie Howe's got the best out of him. But I think a significant change in him, maybe mentally. He's, he's a leader now, I see. Whereas before, I wouldn't start him at all. Yeah, we mentioned this on the pod before as well. He, he is a centre-half who perhaps is stronger on the ball than off the ball, which is a bit of a paradox yeah, for a defender. Yeah. But it's similar to Akanji, really, where at Dortmund it didn't quite work out because perhaps the percentage of possession wasn't as quite as high as it is in Man City. And mm-hmm. both of those players are really good at opening up the game. I know Shara had some yeah. very impressive assists towards the end of the season. He's got a goal mm-hmm. in him as well. Only oh, scored yeah. one this year, but he has a goal in him, and uh, normally, probably, yeah, normally a banger. Yeah, normally a banger. Yeah, but but that's how he got sort of picked, or people noticed him first when he hit sure. the stage at FC Basel because FC Basel was at the time the best team in Switzerland, and they had a lot of the ball as well. And he even there was kind of opening up play from the back, and I think that suits him now that Newcastle play yeah. with a lot of the ball, and then to have someone like Botman next to him to kind of pick up the the aerial stuff will definitely help sure. him as well. I think that's what helps with, because everyone talks a lot about how poor Nick Pope's distribution is, but in a way we don't really need Nick Pope to do it when we have Botman and Shaw in front of him who can yeah. pick out a pass better than probably anybody else in the team. Yeah, and then you have the right side with, with Trippier as well, which yeah. adds just very nicely. Right, let's talk top four predictions we mentioned earlier that Newcastle are no longer guaranteed just maybe just one question for you yes what do you think is your player of the season last season yeah Uh, Kieran Trippier without a doubt yeah 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 Yeah. is now offended that you didn't say Bruno G (laughs) yeah (laughs) Bruno hit a bit of a, a wall when we weren't playing very well where he couldn't really I think people were sort of man marking him taking him out of the game and I don't think he can cope as well because he's our most defensive midfielder in how we play. He's our, our four or our six. And when we had played people like Odegaard, whose movement's just incredible, Bruno does struggle there defensively. So when we have the ball, he controls the game. But when we when we, we don't have it, he's not. He, he sort of goes a bit anonymous. Yeah, for me, Trippier, he gave you an eight out of ten every single week. And he's such a leader. Perfect signing for 12 million. That's just incredible business. Yeah, to, to take him back to the Prem, I think it was. Mm. I, I wouldn't have done it to be fair, but yeah, great investment. Smart, smart investment by yeah. the. He's probably the been, bar maybe Hakimi, he's probably been one of the best right backs in the world this year. Yeah. He's been way better than Hakimi. Hakimi has then, then, he has, then he's the best. Yeah. You've yeah, just said Hakimi because season, of yeah. the FUT stats, which yeah, I'll allow. Which I'll allow. <laughs> I don't watch Let's French chat. League. 
let's chat Premier League more in in general. Sure. Seth, we mentioned earlier you anticipate maybe having to take a step back, which could involve yeah. dropping out of the top four next year, which will be fine mm-hmm. if you win the Champions League, you'll be qualified anyway. Who are or Europa League? Nah, you're going to win the group. Um, who are your top four predictions at the moment? Do you see the likes of Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea being stronger again? Maybe Arsenal not being quite as high up as they were last season? What do you reckon for the Premier League in general? Is By the way, is the thing about, is the top five now the Champions League? I'm not sure. I think so, yes, actually. This is true. Is it? Yeah, they have five. Okay. I, I'm I'm not quite like a hundred percent on this, but yeah, I do. Neither. They are regrouping the Champions League. There are like there's going to be thirty six teams, five of which from the UK. Oh, so yeah, it would make true. sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So City win the league for me. They're just too good. Yeah. Haaland's too good. Even without Gundogan, one, people they're signing Kovacic is a great player. So I think yeah. City win the league comfortably again. The battle between second and third is Liverpool and Arsenal for me. And then I think fourth is between Tottenham and Man United. I genuinely think Tottenham will have the players to play the way that Ange wants to play. If Kane doesn't go, that is. But I think Madison, Kane, Son, Kulisevsky, Bentancourt, that's, that's fantastic. It's, defensively, yeah, they the still need... The yeah. Yeah. yeah, so but if they sign Tapsover and Van der Ven or whoever they're linked with, that then that hopefully that issue should be resolved. But they've got fantastic players going forward. So, and for me, Man United haven't really done anything this window yet, and I don't think their squad is that good. In all honesty, sorry, Fabi. I mean, do you do you hear me disagree with you? No, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't think I think your depth is pretty poor. You've got I don't even know if you've got eleven fantastic players to start, especially on the wings. No, it does. It does need more recruitment, for sure. It's looking. I'm. I'm quite hopeful now of signing Onana. It looks like that deal might actually yeah. come off. Mm-hmm. Expecting it to go through this week, and then being announced roughly when this pod comes out. So hopefully that will happen. Uh, and then the big question mark is who do we get in a striker? Because I think if you get Harry Kane in, you can gloss over a lot of the holes. I've Don't mentioned Kane goes on you, but it doesn't look like it's happening. No, which. Yeah. You know, let's not go there. What I want to ask you is the Premier League has always had one or two teams who've surprised everybody. This season, it was Aston Villa who strung together a really strong run of form. Wasn't it Newcastle? Yeah, I'm talking more sort of mid-table teams that have kind of made a run for Europe. A year ago, it was West Ham putting together a really good spell to end up in the Conference League, Mm -hmm. that sort of tier. I think with Newcastle sure. and their recruitment, we perhaps didn't expect top four, but we definitely saw them in qualifying mm-hmm. for Europe. Who do you see as a as a potential club for next year to qualify for Europe that perhaps people wouldn't have on the cards? Is it the Brentford, Fulham, Crystal Palace sort of type team? Who who are you looking out for? I would, you know what? I think a lot of people say Aston Villa, but I think they'll do what West Ham have done this season and... I think they might even win the Conference League, but I think they'll have a relatively poor season in the Premier League, maybe 10th or 11th, which isn't that bad, but not pushing for Europe, I don't think. I think Brighton will struggle. Um, I think Brentford will definitely struggle without Ivan Tony. I am struggling to pick a dark horse, but I think Fulham, not bad. If they can keep Mitrovic firing, Fulham is not a bad shout. I've not seen a lot of people saying Burnley, but I've not seen enough of company's side to actually say that. 
Mm-hmm. Those what are your thoughts That's on this? Get, this can, is when I sort of struggle. Can, can Crystal Palace have now appointed Roy Hodgson? I actually think the young guns in their team would have the potential for a run like that with a coach like Roy Hodgson. I somehow have my no, reservations. I, I, I think I'm going to agree with Seth. I don't see any small team being able to, to compete mm-hmm. with the, the big one. I think that the, the gap this year would be too big. So, yeah. Is it going to be the top seven and the other 13 clubs? Yeah. Yeah. Are we in so. the top seven now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you I'll are. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. What do you yeah, expect think... from, from Liverpool and Chelsea this season, Toto? I, I think Liverpool are going to be very strong. Mm. I think, yeah, I think Liverpool will be easily in the top four. Not easily, but I think they will be in the top four. And Chelsea, to be fair, I don't really know. I think it, it's tough to say. But I think they would be the top six, at least. Yeah. Uh, tough to say if they would be competing for the top four or not. I think it would depend on Pochettino, on the signings, on how the, the, the team goes. But yeah, I, I, I don't think they will end up like 12 like they did this year. I think they would be competing with the, the, the top six, top seven. So, yeah. You agree with that, Seth? Yeah, I think it's so weird with Chelsea, but Potches is a fantastic manager, and I think he can get the best out of because their squad is still amazing. Yeah, I know they're selling they're selling a lot of players, which is they're getting they're they're using the Saudi market extremely well because they're getting so much money for very average players, not average players, but much more than they would have got if they would sell them in Europe. So I think I think I don't know if Chelsea is still going to invest, but in Kunku, that's a fantastic signing. I'm not. I think this Nicholas Jackson guy is meant to be half decent. Yeah, I don't really know to be fair, but neither. But they've still got fantastic players. Like yeah. Sterling on his day is is amazing. Chelga Silver at the back still. James Chilwell. They've still got a and great think, squad. Enzo, Enzo think, is great. Yeah, and I think Modric would be really good this year. Mm. Just wait and see. But I think Modric would be one of the best this season for Chelsea. Mm. Getting into yeah, I'd say, I'd dangerous say predictions territory now. No, to be... <laughs> One more question I want to ask before we wrap this up. Toto, how far can Newcastle go in the Champions League? Oh, that's tough to say. Are they in which... Um, like the, the Fourth. Is it fourth? I think it would depend because they can have yeah. a massive group. But I think they will end up third and go to the Europa League and maybe like do a good run in the Europa League. Uh, in the Champions League, I think it's going to be tough, as you said, because I don't think you've got the the team to rotate the Cup, the Premier yeah. League, the Champions League. So I think you would do a good run in the Europa League. But I hope for you, you would do something in the Champions League. But depending on the group, it's going to be very tough. Yeah. Seth, how far can Newcastle go in the Champions League? See, I've said that if we can get out of the group, then I'd be that. I don't expect anything else, but like you said, we could get we could get Barcelona and Borussia Dortmund and AC Milan all in our group. Yeah, yeah. but so the pot one, the easiest teams are the Portos and the Finals, and they're, they're still not going to be easy. So it's going to be so difficult. But like I said, if we don't get out of the group, then as far as we can possibly go in the Europa League, I'd still take, and then obviously top seven in the Premier League as well. That would be a good season. Yeah. All right. We will keep a keen eye on Newcastle during the transfer period and thereafter, watching them in the Champions League and seeing if they can 
maintain their top four or top five even status. Are you going so, to the to St James Park to watch the game in the Champions League, Seth? I won't be able to. I doubt it. No. It's tickets are so hard to get. Midweek and yeah. tickets will be very popular, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Boys, thank you so much for today. Special thanks to you, Seth, for hopping on to chat about your favorite team in the world. This has been great fun. And uh, we are leaving our listeners with a quick preview. The Women's World Cup is coming up. We will have some very interesting and special content regarding that coming our way very soon. FPL is drawing closer. Armand will be back from holiday before long and he'll talk us through who to pick and who not to pick. Hmm. And uh, yeah, well, I, I hope everyone listening to this is having a great summer. And with that, ciao for now. Bye, boys. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Bye.